our seed verse. A seed verse is the verse that God gives us when we're going to plant something, right? And so the verses she read from Isaiah 61 are God's seed verse, the verses that he gave to us when we began Hartford City Church, that they, that would be the kind of community that God would breathe that's on display for the Lord's splendor. And we're like, yeah, we want to plant a church. We want to plant something new. And we want it to be for the glory of God and so that it brings blessing and life and love to everybody else. Uh, but this morning for my message, what I want to do is I want to go back in the same book of Isaiah just a little bit. And I want to go back to Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to speak about that because in that chapter, Isaiah has a vision of God. Amen. A vision of God. And what I want to do is I want to walk us through that if I can this morning. All right. Is that okay? All right. It's our anniversary Sunday, right? So I can go a little longer this morning. Is that all right? I think we got some snacks and stuff. Some people are saying yes. Some people are saying no. You know, some people are saying, Pastor, we'll see how it goes. You know, if it's not going well, we'll tell you to wrap it up. But amen. We're going to walk through what God has us to hear this morning. And I believe that God wants to teach us many, many things. There's so much to say. So just uh, pray along with me that God would just give us the words that he wants us to hear at this moment and this time. So I want to begin with us just doing a thought experiment together, all right? What is the most beautiful, most amazing thing that you've ever seen in the world, right? Think about that. Or the thing that you want to see in the world. Oh, Pastor Rosalie just turned to her husband. That was so sweet. Oh, I had to call that out. I had to call that out, man. Praise the Lord, man. It's all about love in this place, right? So I wanted to share with you, I, I wasn't going to go to that level yet, but we'll get there. <laughs> uh, you know, when you think of all the things in nature that we can see that are amazing, I mean, I've been privileged to see some amazing things. So I'm just going to share with you three of the amazing things that I've seen that just blow my mind away. This is uh, the Colorado Rockies. Many of you know I grew up in the state of Colorado. This is Ure, Colorado. It looks like the Swiss Alps to me. I just think it's one of the most beautiful little towns, beautiful mountains. Mountains actually circle 360 around this town. So that view, any direction you look, you get that view. It's just amazing to me. The mountains are so majestic. The mountains, from the time I was a boy, lifted my eyes to God because I thought, these things are so big and so amazing, and who created this? You know, what is there? It, it draws my mind from the small things up into the large things, and I've always just been just enjoyed and privileged that I grew up in Colorado and got to see that beauty and that majesty. Uh, several years ago, we also went to Bermuda, and they have these pink sand beaches. And is that, I mean, the ocean is another place that's beautiful, right? And that pink sand kind of felt like foam. And I was like, this is just one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. And then many, many years ago, actually one of the first times, I think, I was flying in uh, to New York. We got to fly over New York City at night. And the plane was coming right above, and I thought, man, this is amazing. This is magnificent. You know, these are things that just cause your mind to just expand and say, man, this is so amazing, so beautiful, so wonderful. So if these things that we know are amazing, beautiful, and wonderful, how much more amazing is the presence of God? How many millions, billions of times more would it be that if we could actually see God? If we actually got a vision of God, like the prophets of old, like the prophet Isaiah, I mean, if we got a vision of God, I mean, it would just completely blow us away, would it not? I mean, it would be something that would be even beyond. So these things take us as far as we can go, but then we realize that God's presence is even more magnificent, right? Because it's not just the beauty of something that's created, something that sits there, right? It's the incredible presence of being with someone who is so incredible. Amen. So let's take this to the next level, shall we? You with me still? Are you with me? We'll take this to the next level. So imagine your dream dinner party. I'm going to share with you mine, okay? So we're going to set up the location. This is a Mediterranean villa, you know, on the coast of Italy or France or somewhere overlooking the ocean, right? Beautiful, right? I'm going to have this house. I'm going to so not only is the scenery going to be beautiful and the location beautiful, 
But I'm going to invite some incredibly beautiful and interesting people to come to my dinner party. Okay, so you ready to see what the pastor's dream dinner party would be? This is it. First of all, I would have President Barack Obama. I'd have him at the dinner party, right? Because you got to go to the top, right? you got to go up to the top, right? And then I'm going to have Brad Pitt. So I'm going to have, you know, Brad Pitt. Can you imagine? All right, right? You're, you guys are digging this dinner party. Right now, some of you are looking for the invite. I can tell, all right? So here we go. The next level, I would have Shakira there. Don't judge. I liked her on The Voice, okay? Don't judge. But I would have Shakira there, right? So, man, this party, right, has already got international flavor. We got politicians, actors. And then lastly, I would have Cristiano Ronaldo, the world-renowned soccer player, right? My dream dinner. I mean, wouldn't this be amazing? Okay, whether you would put different people in there, wouldn't that be amazing? To be in that kind of house, in that kind of location, with an amazing meal, and, and those people that are amazing, right, that, are, that would just be phenomenal. That would just, it would be a mind-blowing experience. And yet, when we get to the presence of God, it's billions and billions of times even greater than what we can imagine here on this earth. Listen, if you would, to me. I'm going to walk us through Isaiah chapter 6 this morning. I'm going to ask you just to listen. If you want to follow in your own Bibles, that's fine. Isaiah chapter 6. If you just want to listen, you can do that as well. Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. What an incredible vision that Isaiah has of the presence of the Lord God Almighty, completely surpassing anything on this earth that we could see. Because when they say holy, 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 it means, God, you are so different. You are so distinct. You are so unique that there is nothing like you in the entire universe, that you are far and above anything that we can think or imagine or see or build or do. And to emphasize it, they repeat it three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I love how one translation puts it, the God of the angel armies. And you see these angels with six wings flying around. I mean, I mean, you can't even begin to comprehend this vision of God. And the thing is, when we, when, when we have this vision of God, we need to understand that it's so magnificent, it's so amazing, that we only can get a glimpse of it. We, we only can get a piece of it because we literally would be destroyed with a full-on vision of God, Right? That's why people need to be careful. People come in here and they just with, you know, happy little smiles on their faces saying, holy, 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 I want to see you. Do you really want to see God? Do you really want the almighty God to show up in this place? I mean, I mean, these are amazing things that Isaiah sees. But I want you to notice something. He doesn't even get to the beginning of who God is. He says the train of his robe fills the temple. That's like the hem of his robe. That's like the bottom of my soul. Like his eyes can only get to here. You see what I'm saying? It's like when he gets a vision of God, when he sees God high lifted up, he can only get as far as God's feet. That's all he can see, amen? I mean, he just gets a glimpse of it, you know? And even the angels are covering their eyes, right? They can't even see the fullness of God. And the place is covered with smoke, right? And so you can't even see what's going on exactly, right? Because God's presence is so amazing, so powerful, that when you start to look up at him, you can only get to the feet. You can't even get past that. It's so amazing. 
It reminds me of this story in Exodus chapter 24. Remember that Moses was at Mount Sinai when God gave him the Ten Commandments. And there's this interesting little passage in, the, in Exodus 24. It's almost like in the middle of the giving of the Ten Commandments, God calls a lunch break. He's like, okay, time out. We're going to take a break or whatever, right? So they take a break and he says, listen, Moses, I want you, your brother Aaron, I want Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders to come up on the mountain. We're going to sit down at a table and have some lunch together. So can you imagine? Moses, Aaron. Nadab, Abihu, 70 elders, they go up and it says in the word of God, they see the Lord God Almighty. Woo! Hallelujah. And you know what their description is? He was standing on some pavement that looked like sapphire, like a clear blue sky. And that's it. <laughs> they couldn't even get their eyes off the floor. Like they saw the Lord God Almighty and the only thing they could remember was that what he was standing on was so amazing. It's like we well, didn't even see nothing else. <laughs> when you get a glimpse of God's glory, it's so amazing. It's so overwhelming. I mean, you, you don't even get the fullness of it, amen. You don't even get all that it is because it is completely overwhelming. When we lift our eyes to the vision and we see God, we can only get just the bare minimum of who God is. Because in the fullness of the presence of God, we are completely undone. Isaiah's response is, woe to me, for I'm a person of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. Like we sang this morning, oh God, I'm undone. This is a land of rage and slander. My lips are unclean this morning. Oh my, he's completely undone in the overwhelming, majestic presence of God. But before we get to that, there's one more thing we need to notice, right? From the very beginning, there's a very interesting line that provides us a clue to understanding what it means to have a vision of God. Isaiah says in chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, in the year that King Uzziah died, and that name means very little to us today, but in the history of Israel, King Uzziah was a stud of a king. Oh, let me tell you, you may have heard of King David, and you may have heard of King Solomon, but I'm telling you, King Uzziah had a career to rival any king that you would want to have. King Uzziah was 16 years old. You know, he was a golden boy when he took over the throne from his father. And it says that immediately he sought out a mentor. That mentor was Zephaniah, the prophet, who taught him about the vision and fear of the Lord. So catch that, all right? Just hold on to that. The word for vision and fear are the same word. And the, Zephaniah taught him, instructed him in how to see the Lord and how to fear the Lord. Then King Uzziah went on to build one of the biggest, best equipped, most successful armies that that period of, of the world had ever known, okay? It says that he was well equipped his army. They were successful. Not only was he successful in military, but he negotiated truces with other countries. Some kings brought tribute to him. So he was a great military man. He, and he was a great diplomat at the same time. And not only did he do that, it says he built towers in Jerusalem. He was a builder and he built beautiful architecture. And not only did he built towers in Jerusalem, he built towers out in the wilderness, you know, where it was more difficult to do that. And it says he built cisterns, you know, things that would hold and carry water, so he developed irrigation systems. So he was a great military man, he was a great diplomat, he was a young king, he had the best mentor, he was successful in his building programs and water programs and bringing water to people. I mean, this guy's got it all going on, doesn't he? But we don't stop there. It is said of him in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, as the Chronicles writing down, that he also had tons of livestock. He was a successful rancher, and his farms did well, and his vineyards did well. He had all kinds of food and wine that just flowed. I mean, this guy had it all. 
It said he was a man that loved the soil. That's where he loved to be, was out in nature, you know, tending to the farms and to the vineyards, right? King Uzziah ruled for over 50 years over the nation of God's people. Hallelujah. So when he says in the year that King Uzziah died, okay, now you understand this guy was amazing. This guy represented the pinnacle of glory and achievement that a human can have. But King Uzziah succumbed to what so many do. He became prideful. He thought, well, look at what I've done. Look at what I've built. He forgot that it was God who granted him success. And he entered into the temple and he took over the job that only the priests were supposed to do, which was to acknowledge and recognize the presence of God in that place. And he began to burn incense on the altar of God in a way what he thought he could do was he could manufacture the presence of God. But the priests came in and they rebuked him. Because what do priests and pastors and spiritual leaders need to do when the political leader becomes too prideful and oversteps his bounds? They need to call him out and say, what you are doing is wrong. You are offending the Lord God Almighty by what you are doing. And King Uzziah, as great as he was, he said, huh, he got angry. How dare you talk to me like that? How dare you accuse me of something? priest didn't need to say nothing. God struck him with a skin disease. And just imagine, I mean, do you see the humor in that? Someone who's so prideful, the way they look is part of that. You know, the skin disease, it kind of matches what he was dealing with, right? So he had a skin disease for the rest of his life. And God humbled him. He said, listen, you need to remember, okay, that there is a certain kind of glory and achievement that you can achieve as a human being. But you cannot manufacture the very presence of God. You cannot manufacture the presence of God. This was illustrated in my own life several, several years ago. Maybe about 20 years ago now. I was at a youth conference in Buffalo, New York. And there was a few thousand, you know, uh, kids there, youth groups, leaders. And they had speakers and bands, you know, nationally known people coming in. And, and what they were doing was they were trying to create this temple feel in the, in the middle. So on a stage... They built like this Ark of the Covenant, and they had lights on it, and they had smoke and everything. And, but it was all manufactured. It was just like this attempt to manufacture the presence of God. And I remember looking at it going, well, this is kind of cool, you know, because the lights are going, the music. It's like being at a concert, right? And, you're like, and I'm thinking, man, what if God like really did show, right? <laughs> like the drums are playing. It's like, oh, God's getting ready to walk into the room. Like God was going to burst through the doors, you know, like WWE with his face on the thing. And now the Lord God Almighty. And everybody goes, wow. I mean, we kind of, to be honest, I kind of wanted that. You know, I was kind of looking, I'm like, this would be so cool. But in the end, it just was like, it, it, it was too much manufacturing. It was smoke, it was lights, it was just, it, it wasn't the real presence of God. Not that God wasn't there. I mean, I'm sure that God touches people whenever and wherever he wants to. But then I got a chance to contrast that with something. Just a very few months right after that, we were down in Mexico, ministering at this church that was not Pastor Roberto's church, we were asked to go out into the countryside to this church and, and to minister there and to have a service. So we went in, and there was like just cement pillars. There was no roof on the church. We had to go like to the neighbors and ask for chairs to bring up. I mean, there was nothing there, you know. It's like, how are you going to do it in this, you know. And I mean, none of this, no, you know, we had our guitar, we had whatever, so we sang. And, and a guy, you know, came in, he was, he was coming by, the, this other pastor was coming, and so we praised the Lord, we sang, um, you know, the, the sun was going down, you know, so it was, it was nice, nice weather to be in the open air. 
and his pastor began to pray. And the presence of God came. Man, whew, I just was overwhelmed. Because it was so magnificent, so completely unmanufactured. I'm telling you, I'm telling you with my own eyes, I saw this like, this like cloud that was glowing in, in, in that area. And I knew it wasn't just me because I'm walking away thinking, and I, I don't know if that's me or not. It looks like there's this cloud of God's glory glowing. And, and I walk outside the sanctuary, and I'm just, I'm just like reflecting on this. And I turn around, and there's people from our group trying to take pictures of the empty sanctuary. <laughs> and so I knew, you know, I knew that there was something that we saw that was the Shekinah glory of God, something that was so overwhelming. But here's the, here's the point, friends. It wasn't manufactured. You can't manufacture the magnificence of God's presence. And when you attempt to do so, all your attempts will fall very, very short of what it means to actually experience the presence of God. That God's presence is something that he invites us to enter into. But you'll notice, why was it in the year that King Uzziah died that Isaiah had his vision? Because the glory of human needed to die before he could see the glory of God. For when our eyes are focused on the glory of this world, on the majesty that's manufactured, on all of the things that the world tells us we should be looking at, on all of the ways the world defines success and amazement, when our eyes are focused on that, when our eyes are focused on certain people, no matter how great those people may be, it keeps us from seeing the Almighty God. And sometimes our idols need to die before we get to see the glory of the Almighty God. So my question to you today is simply this. What in your life needs to die before you get that vision of God that you've been looking for? Did you hear me? Did you hear me? What needs to die in your life before you get the vision of the glory of God? Isaiah probably looked up to King Uzziah because everybody did, right? I mean, and it says that God granted him that success. He just forgot who gave it to him. You know, but sometimes his, our, those things need to die. They need to go away before we have this vision of God. Now let's look at what happens to Isaiah when he gets into the presence of God. He says, woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Well, I want to talk about three things that happen in the presence of God. Amen. First of all, in God's presence, we become aware of our sin. He said, woe is me. Woe is me. I realize there's something wrong in me. I realize there's something that needs to be made right. I realize there's something unclean that needs to be made clean. I realize there's something that, that's, that's destroying me that needs to be removed. Because when I see the holiness and the majesty of God, when I see the righteousness of God, when I see the pure love of God, I understand that there's something in me that needs to change. That's something in me. And it almost feels like I'm going to die. That's how bad it is. You see, we want the end of the vision, don't we? We want all the good feely-feelies. Oh, I just want to be in the presence of the Lord. You do? Then did the Lord reveal to you your sin while you were in his presence? Did the Lord say, hey, here's some things that need to be changed in your life? We become aware of how far we fall short of the glory of God. Amen. Does not the Bible say that? That we all have fallen so far short of the glory of God. 
Maybe it's because we've been building our own glory. Maybe it's because we've been focused on things of this earth. Maybe it's because we've forgotten what it means to truly come into the presence of the Lord. Friends, we become aware of our sin in the presence of the Lord, the things that need to change in me. And friends, in this day and age, really God is impressing upon me that, that it's, it's I need to change what God is asking me to change in my life. And I don't always know what that is for you. I don't know what it is that God's working on in you, but God does his work. He's a master surgeon, right? He's a master sculptor. He's going to take out and take away the things that are going to hinder us, and he's going to make us more beautiful in the process. You know, I mean, over the last several years, I found out that I was wrong about certain things. So, again, I'm just going to speak for myself, and I'll let God speak for you. I w as, as a white man who grew up in white society, I was wrong about racism in this country. I thought it didn't exist anymore. <laughs> I thought everyone would be treated fairly and treated well. I was wrong. God has revealed to me how wrong I was, that it still exists. God re is revealing to me the things in my thinking and what I say and what I do that need to be changed. Amen? Because that's where God deals with us, right? That's where the sin becomes manifest. It's the way we think, it's what we say, and it's what we do. Right? Those are the areas where we can bring things that are, that are just death into the world, where we can hurt other people, right? Where we can do things that are wrong, where we can perpetuate injustice, when we can neglect people that are hurting. I mean, that's what God revealed to me. It's like so many of us are like people are hurting, and we're over here saying, oh, it's not really, you're not really hurting. How crazy would that be for you to go into the hospital wounded and say, I need help, and the doctors say to you, no, you don't. It's all in your head. You'd be like, what are you, crazy? There's still so many things that need to be changed. And God is working on me. And, but I don't, don't just take that as me talking to you. God has to reveal to you, I believe, today what he wants to say to you. Because if we are truly in the presence of God this morning, our sin is going to be revealed. And for Isaiah, it was his lips, right? He said, I'm a man of unclean lips. And I think it's interesting that God, that he said lips, and that God then heals his lips because Isaiah is going to be a prophet, someone who speaks the word of God. So he even realized that if I'm going to speak the words of God, I need to acknowledge, first of all, that my words have been wrong, that I'm undone and it feels like I'm going to die. And the second thing is we are purified in God's presence. So we become aware of our sin, then we are purified. Isaiah says, then one of the seraphim angels flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Amen. We are purified in the presence of God. And then the presence of God is described like a fire in this passage. Like a fire that's like a fire pit in front of God. And there's a coal that the angel takes out with some tongs and flies over to Isaiah, who realizes, you know, symbolically that the uncleanness is my lips. And he touches his lips and he says, you're purified, you're cleansed. Your sin is atoned for, and it's the presence of God that cleanses us from sin. And who is the presence of God in the world today? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the presence of God. That's why we say he can atone for our sins, because he brings the presence of God to us. But the presence of God is like a fire. That means sometimes it might hurt a little bit what God needs to do in our life, right? Right? I'm just, I'm, no, I know this is not something that we like to hear but this is going to hurt a little bit, right? How many times have people told you that? This is going to hurt a little bit, right? 
And maybe it hurts a lot more than a little bit, right? But at least they gave you the warning. Brace yourself. This thing that's going to save you, this thing that's going to heal you, it's going to hurt a little bit. And to you it might hurt a lot. But do you trust the one who's doing it? Do you trust the one who said, I'll be with you no matter what? For the Bible says our God is a consuming fire. Hallelujah. God is a consuming fire. But it also goes on to say that because of God's great love, we are not consumed. It's a consuming fire, yes. It's a fire that burns. But like the burning bush that Moses saw that wasn't consumed, when God's fire burns in our lives and purifies us and refines us, we are not consumed. We are not killed. Even though it might feel like we're going to die, we're not going to die because God is with us in the fire. Amen. Amen. I think of those three boys from Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And remember, they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Why? Because they refused to worship the glory of man in the form of an idol. They refused to say, I will no longer look to the glory of kings and leaders, but I will look only to the glory of God. And that little man said, that's it, you're in the fire. And in the fire, they did not burn up. Why? Because God was with them. Hallelujah. They looked at it like, I thought there was three people in there, but I see four, right? Friends, are you going through something in your life right now? Can I just talk to somebody for a minute? Are you going through something and you feel like you're alone? Are you, are you going through something and you feel like you're in the fire? Let me tell you, right now I'm looking at your life and I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I don't just see you. I see two of you. There's somebody else in there with you. And you know who it is? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ who promised that he would be with us no matter what. That he would never leave us nor forsake us. Whatever you're going through, you think you're alone, you can't see God right now. Maybe there's tears covering your eyes. Maybe there's something else covering your eyes. Let God open your eyes. Let God open the eyes of your heart this morning so that when you get the vision of God, you'll say, wow, God in Jesus Christ is with me right now. You are not in the fire alone. Hallelujah. Somebody, somebody needed to hear that today. You are not in the fire alone. In God's presence, we become aware of our sin. We are purified. By the presence of God that now takes the form of, well, really the Holy Spirit, amen. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God that Jesus gave to us that is the consuming fire that is in our life, amen. And then we are called and sent. Then we are called and sent. So listen to what happens. Then Isaiah says, after he became aware of his sin, after he was purified, he said, then I heard a voice. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. How many of you want to hear the voice of God? You need to get in his presence, kill your idols, become aware of your sin, confess, and be cleansed. <laughs> there's a process, right? If you want to hear the voice of God, there's a process you need to go through so that you're ready and able to hear the voice of God. Then Isaiah said, I heard the voice of God saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he responds, he says, here I am, send me. I got you, God. Now Isaiah's call was very unique, very unique. It's so fascinating. Every other prophet the word of the Lord came to them specifically. It was like they were chosen. For instance, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. The, it says, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, right? Isaiah, that doesn't happen to. He hears a general call of God, and then he responds to it. Very unique, Isaiah's call. Very, very unique amongst all the prophets. Because sometimes God will come and say, I choose you. Jose, I choose you. This is my word for you, right? But in Isaiah's case, he's just in the presence of God, right? And he hears the voice of God. And it's like a lot of times God like, will, will come after you and he'll say, hey, you, you, I want you to do this. Sometimes he just issues a general call, right? 
It's like I'm looking for volunteers, right? Can I get some volunteers? I got a mission. I got a message. Can I get some volunteers? Who's willing and ready to go? Hallelujah. And friends, again, we aren't willing and ready to go unless the King Uzziahs have died in our lives and we've become aware of our own sin and we've been purified by the presence of God. Hallelujah. Then we're ready. Then we're ready. But what does God call him to? You guys with me? You got everyone, be with me, okay? Because all of a sudden we're starting to feel better now, right? Yeah, sin, okay, I became aware of my sin. I thought I was going to die. God healed me. God purified me. God saved me. Hallelujah. I hear his voice. Yes, I hear his voice saying this. I want to fall. I'm sensed. God sent me. I'm ready to go. Let's go. What does God call Isaiah to do? Oh, boy, hang on to your seats. He says, then go and tell the people this. Be ever hearing but not understanding. What? Be ever seen, but you don't perceive. Make the heart of this people calloused. What, God? Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Woo! Can you imagine a call like that? He basically said, Isaiah, all right, you're ready. You heard my call. You're going to go. I want you to go. And when you preach, people are going to harden their hearts. And they're not going to hear what you say, and they're not going to understand what you say. I'd be like, um, you got any other jobs, God? <laughs> Is there anything else on the list? Because that doesn't sound too pleasant. That doesn't sound too nice. Isaiah was called to a ministry of not being successful. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if God came to us and said, I want you to go plant this church, but nobody's going to listen to you and nobody's going to come. What? Okay, God. Can you imagine? God calls you to go to a job, right? He says, hey, I want you to go work at this job at this company, okay? But when you go to this company, no one's going to listen to you. Nothing's going to change, and it's going to close in six months. Can you imagine receiving a call like that? Because, friends, you need to understand what the Word of God is saying to me and saying to you this morning, that when God calls you, He doesn't call you to be successful. He calls you to be faithful. God does not call you to be successful. God's like, why don't you leave that to me? First of all, I have a better definition of success than you do. And second of all, I've got far more resources than you do. And when the success happens, it will be for my glory. It won't be like this idol you're building here on earth that I'm just going to have to smash down and take up. God calls us to be faithful, not successful, because we leave the results to him. And that's what Isaiah needed to learn. And Isaiah knew this was a hard message. And whatever excitement he felt about that incredible worship experience that he was in, he was given such a difficult task that he must have thought, wow. And see, he couldn't have done that if he hadn't gone through everything that he went through, right? If he hadn't gone through God's process, he wasn't going to be able to do it. But hear the compassion of Isaiah. Hear the compassion of Isaiah. It's so good. He says, how long, O Lord? How long will this happen? And he said, until the cities lie ruined without inhabitant, the houses are deserted, the fields are ruined and ravaged, and everyone has been taken away. Everything will be laid waste and laid bare. But as the oak tree leaves stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be a stump in the land. Sometimes God does some pruning, Right? So let me just say a word about pruning and promises as we come to our ministry time this morning. Our theme verse for this year is John 15, 5. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
It also says in that passage that God will prune the trees that bear fruit so they'll be even more fruitful. And that branches that aren't bearing fruit, he'll cut out. Right? There's a pruning process. Sometimes God cuts things down. He said, listen, what I'm about to do to the people, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a pruning. It's going to be a cut down. All right? And that's what I need to do, all right? It's, it's what I need to get some things out of here. But listen, even when I prune, even when there's a stump, I will leave a promise in that. I will leave a seed. He says, listen, that there will be a holy seed in the stump. So even in every process of pruning that God does in your life, he also leaves a promise. Amen. He leaves a promise of restoration, a promise of his presence. What is that seed that's in the stump? Well, listen to this. This is so cool. Just a few chapters later in chapter 11, Isaiah says, A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, and from his roots a branch will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And friend, that is a prophecy about Jesus Christ himself. That's why Jesus Christ is called the root of Jesse. Because Jesus Christ is the seed that was promised. The Messiah was the one who would come. That even though God was going to send his people into exile, even though there was devastation coming to the land, he says, I will not leave you without a seed of a promise that I will send a deliverer from the line of David. I will send a Messiah. I will send a rescuer. I will send someone to bring you back home at the right time. In every process of pruning in my life and your life, God gives us a seed of a promise. And that promise is not that things will go the way we want them to go, but that he will be with us until his will is complete in us. Amen? Amen? God will be with you all the way until his will is complete with you. And then we will be together forever. Friends, this is the promise of God. Amen? Today we have an opportunity to be in his presence, amen. Today we come, we worship, we sing songs desiring this glimpse of glory, this taste of the presence of God. But today, let's, let's follow the process. Let's become aware that God, there's things in our lives that need to change. We need to be healed. We need to be cleansed. We need to be forgiven. We need a new start. Let us be purified by the presence of God today. Let us hear the voice of God as he's calling may not be coming to you directly, but you've heard the voice of God. God's saying, hey, I've got some things I want to see done in this world. Do I have any volunteers? And then sometimes he will come to you, and he'll say, listen, I want you to do this, right? Right? I've had both of those kind of calls in my life, right? I've had both those kind of calls. God's call came to me one time and said, man, young people, teenagers, they, they need to know about me. They need to know God's love. And I said, okay, God, I'll, I'll do it. I'll step up. I'll do that, right? Four years ago, God came to me and he gave me a more Jonah-like call. He said, listen, I want you to go here to Hartford and I want you to do this. And my whole life has been like going where God tells me to go, saying what he wants me to say. And so this morning is born out of, I ask God, I plead with God, what do you want me to say? He's like, here's what I want you to say. Okay, God, it doesn't have to be successful. I don't need comment cards. I don't need, I don't need this church to be a thousand people big. I don't, I don't need everything to be like that. I need to be faithful. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before God, right? With nothing, <laughs> with nothing except what I've given to him. And say, God, I was faithful. I did. I went where you told me to go. 
I said what you wanted me to say. And you are here today, friends, sisters, brothers, because God has called you to come here and hear what he has to say to you. Okay? And you're in the right place. Let's open our ears. Let's open our eyes to hear God in this moment. Amen. Would you, would you just close your eyes for a minute? Just direct your heart and your attention towards God and just ask him to reveal to you what he is speaking to your heart this morning. God, we're asking that your presence in this place would be made manifest, God. Lord, is there something in me that needs to die so that I can see more of you? Speak that this morning. God, is there something in my life that you would like to cleanse, that you would like to purify? Speak that to me this morning. Is there a call? Is there a purpose that I can participate in? God, open our ears to hear your voice this morning. Lord, I want to invite you to this morning. And it's an invitation. There's no compulsion. You may just want to sit right where you are and have God made to you. But this may be the day you need to come forward. What I want to do is I'm just going to give you a bit of anointing oil on your finger. And again, what we think, what we say, and what we do. And like Isaiah, you may just want to take a little bit of that oil and just put it on your lip. And just say, God, cleanse my lips, cleanse my words. You may want to put it on your head. Say, God, my thoughts, my mind, cleanse that. On your heart, you may want to, may want to say, God, cleanse my heart. But I'm going to ask you to come up. Just hold out your hand over the bowl. And I'm just going to put a drop of anointing oil on you. I'm just going to invite you to just anoint where God is guiding you. And then you can stay up here and pray as the worship team leads. There will also be pastors at the far side that can pray with you if you need to pray with somebody this morning. So as Rod is beginning for us, amen, and I'm going to anoint his finger and he's going to place it where God is telling him to place it. Then he can stay up here and pray by himself in a worship or there will be people to pray with you in that moment. Okay, amen. So this is an invitation for you to come and experience the presence of the Lord this morning. Amen.